We started a series last Sunday entitled Preparing for the Last Days. And, you know, we looked at that thought from Christ in Matthew 24, how he was warning his disciples to be watchful for deception, that the enemy, one of his names actually is the deceiver. He'd love nothing better than to, you know, deceive us and get us thinking something wrong. But, you know, what we looked at last week was the idea that it's not just going to come from the camp of the enemy, the deception, but we can expect it to come from our camp or from the perspective of someone saying, I am of Christ, I am a follower of Christ, but yet what they're saying is not true. And so the very first thing he warned us of, Jesus warned us of, is be careful of deception. And so I want to just continue on this week and look at, at something else Jesus shares from us. It's in the very next verse of how we can prepare for the last days, what we can expect. And this is in Matthew 24 and verse 6. Jesus said to his disciples and to us, he said, You'll hear of, rumor, uh, hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations are going to rise up against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. There's going to be famine, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning of sorrows. It's just the very beginning. Lord, help us. But, you know, even when we consider that, and we know that these are not small things. These are not things that we can easily brush off as far as the things that are going to come upon the earth, calamities. We just have to read Revelation to say, God's not joking around with the things that are going to take place. And that can sometimes be hard to think about going through those things and experiencing them. Wars, nations fighting against each other, Famine, diseases. Well, that, that's real to us, at least right now with a worldwide pandemic. Earthquakes in various, in many places. And I think that list is not exhaustive that he gives us, but they're just examples of all the different things that the scripture and scriptures indicate that are going to come upon the earth. And, you know, it's not necessarily for us, but to judge the earth. We're going to look at Egypt, how he judged them in a moment. But, you know, but we see this list and, and it's troubling in our souls and we can be fearful. In fact, I, I entitled this message or the subtitle, you could say, is the fear of the last days. Because in our soul and in ourselves, it can be fearful. Yet we have to remind ourselves, what was the very next thing Jesus encouraged us or told us what to do. He said, see that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled. Do not be afraid. That is his admonition to us. Even, you know, we're not saying it won't be a fearful time. It, it absolutely will be. It will be a time when the whole world is going to be on edge because of one judgment after another. And so the question is, how do we view that as a church? Well, we just saw what Jesus said, but, you know, how do we relate to 
the events of the last days? How are we to react as believers? And I want to go back to the verse we, we read from Isaiah last week and key in on one phrase. Isaiah 8 and verse 12. We read, talked about conspiracies last week. And he said, do not call a conspiracy all that this people or the world or other people are calling conspiracy. But here's what I want to key in on. Do not fear what they fear. Don't be in dread. You know, that's, again, the Holy Spirit speaking through us through Isaiah. You know, we talked about conspiracies last week, the, the danger of going along with that, going along with what the multitude is saying. In fact, in our Bible study, it kind of came up about the multitude. You know, the Scripture kind of indicates that the, the way the multitude goes is usually not the way to go. It's usually not the good way. Um, in fact, they said in Proverbs, it says it inclines towards evil. So we want to be careful of that. We're not to follow a multitude to do evil. In fact, it's not an excuse to God when we stand before him to say, well, everyone else was doing it. That won't work. But, you know, back to this thought of the events of the last days, the world is going to see all of these calamities and troubles and, you know, they're probably going to think it's a conspiracy against them. Well, in one sense, it is God. It's God conspiring to judge them for sin. But what is God's admonition for us from Isaiah? It's do not fear what they fear. We are not to have fear or dread of the last days or really of any day that we're living in. We are not called to fear what they fear. And so this is really one of the great keys of living and as a believer in the last days and what God is calling us to do is to walk with him without fear and dread. That we can walk in assurance that God is in control. Now, as, as I've said, it will be a scary time for those who don't know Christ. I cannot imagine what it would be like not to know Jesus and have that assurance and to know him as the Prince of Peace in this day and in the days to come. I just, I wouldn't want to, I don't even want to imagine what that would be like. Because walking with him gives such assurance, such hope, such confidence that he has a plan. It doesn't matter what happens to our natural body. You know, we can't guarantee that we won't be affected by the judgments that are to come but we can be assured that God is in control and he has a plan for us and he has a place for us to receive us when we cross over into his kingdom. I want to talk about a very important concept in scripture, uh, especially with end times doctrine. I'm not going to get into the doctrine of the end times or anything like that, but there's a concept we have to kind of grasp firmly in our spirits of what God wants us to believe and understand about walking with him in the last days. And I realize there's many different doctrines of the events of the last days and what's going to happen in the church. We won't get into that. But, but what a very important concept that when we determine doctrine is we have to look to the Old Testament and see what examples and types God gave us to illustrate the doctrine of the New Testament. And I would encourage you to study that, that one of the main types and examples in Scripture we see of the last days 
in the Old Testament is really that God preserves his people in the midst of judgment. That is the main type of the Old Testament. It is God preserving his people in the midst of trials, in the midst of judgment, and bringing them out victoriously on the other side. And I, I would encourage you to study that. You know, you think of, of all of those who went through difficulty, were preserved. Of course, we can think of the, the big one, Noah, right? All the world was judged, but he was preserved by God miraculously. Israel in the Egypt, Israel in the wilderness. You know, David in the wilderness, running from Saul, God preserved him and brought him out as a king. Elijah in famine, Elisha preserved Israel through miracles of provision and sustenance. You know, the, the list can be long. And, and when people challenge you about different doctrines of the end times, I actually don't encourage you to get in debates about end times doctrine. I've never found it very fruitful. But, you know, one reply that I have never gotten a real answer from that, that I'll say is like, you know, I encourage them, what does the scripture say about God doing with his people? Every example I see says he preserves them. They're preserved through that time of judgment and trial. And that's the example God gave. And I want to look at just one of those examples. I mentioned Israel and Egypt. You know, this is going to be more and more real to us, I think, in the days to come. When God was delivering Israel out of Egypt through Moses and through many judgments upon the land, uh, their experience is a strong and powerful type and example for us. And not just the last days, you know, when the Antichrist comes, but, you know, even now, when we go through trials and tribulations and challenges, we can look to what God did to Israel and how he preserved them as they kept their eyes upon God and upon you know, Moses and, the, and what the leadership was saying. God preserved them. You know, they were, uh, they were there in Egypt. They were affected by the judgments, right? I mean, you couldn't not see those judgments coming upon the land. They were in the land. Uh, you know, they were surrounded by them. They probably saw the frogs jumping everywhere, the flies buzzing. I don't know if the lice got on them or not. I hope not. But, you know, they saw all of that, the locusts swarming, seeing all their, there goes all the food. It probably was not pleasant, a pleasant time. But I'll tell you what, they were preserved in the midst of that. God made a difference between Egypt and the land of Goshen where uh, Israel was dwelling. God preserved them there. In fact, one of the second, uh, if, uh, the second to last plague that came upon them, I wanted to just look that. that this is a really good illustration. The, the second to last plague was darkness. And they said it's a darkness that was so thick you could feel it. I don't know if I've ever experienced a darkness so thick I could feel it. You know, the only thing I can imagine is, is it was like a mist that was so damp and you could kind of like feel it in the air and it was so thick that they blinded them and they couldn't see. I don't know if it came over them or what it was like, but what a judgment that would be. But there is one thing we know about Israel. And it says this in Exodus 10, verse 22. 
It says, Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They didn't see one another. No one even rose up from this place three days. They didn't know where to go. They were blind. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling places. That's a good picture of the people of God waiting upon him, trusting in him in the midst of judgment. And this is really what we we need to understand. uh, Egypt represent the world going through severe judgments, you know, one after another coming upon them. Just like the judgments we see in Revelation, we know will come upon the people of the earth in the last days against the Antichrist and his kingdom. But in the midst of that judgment, Israel had light in their dwelling places. I love that that concept, that picture. That in the midst of darkness, and we know Isaiah says, gross darkness is coming upon the earth. But his glory will arise upon thee, as it says in the scriptures. The children of Israel had light in their dwelling places. It doesn't mean they weren't affected by the darkness. It doesn't sound like they could go out of their dwelling places. It was darkness in the land. You know, they were confined. It was dark. They could probably feel it if they stuck their hand out their window and feel that darkness out there. But within, they had light. And how was that? Have you ever considered that? They had light in their dwelling places, but it was darkness in the whole land. I don't know that their lamps were any different. It didn't dispel the darkness from their lamps with oil in it. No, it was the light of God illuminating their dwelling place that they, ha- they were able to have light. And that's a wonderful picture of what God wants to do within our hearts and in our lives because what was in the Old Testament and the natural in the New Testament is in the spiritual. Although I'm sure there will be examples of that in the natural of God preserving his people and in the midst of darkness. But God wants to do that in our lives, in his church. So in the last days, God does not want us to fear what the world fears. He wants to be our place of refuge. He wants to give us light in dark places. Now I want to go back to that verse we were reading in, or that chapter we were reading in Isaiah, Isaiah 8 where we read, we're not to fear what they fear. I want to read the very next verse. In Isaiah 8 and verse 13, it says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary. And that's what we want. Lord, be my sanctuary in this dark time. For us and for the people that fear him, he'll be a sanctuary. But for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to the houses of Israel and for a trap and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so there's that this balance we see or this contrast we see that's so important in our quest not to fear what the world fears. Um, and this, this verse tells us it goes beyond just reminding ourselves. Well, if the world's afraid, I'm not to be afraid. It goes beyond just reminding ourselves. You know, you can say to yourself all day long, there's nothing to fear but fear itself, but that won't be enough in the last days. 
Isaiah says, let him be your fear. Let God be your fear. Then he will be our sanctuary. And so really the key in not fearing what the world fears, in looking on the TV and on the news and seeing all the the things that are troubling coming to pass, what is the key to that? It's not saying, oh, I don't have to worry. It's not real. Well, it is real. So what's the key? Let him be your fear. Let God be your fear. And so basically, we have to have the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, you could go into that in a, a wonderful study, but to the basic understanding of it, I think, is summarized in Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. You know, when we walk in the fear of the Lord, it's to have a reverence and a love and respect for God and his ways. Respect for the things he loves. Mercy, compassion, truth, and righteousness. You know, to to have those things as what we value in our life, what we honor. And so really, the fear of the Lord is, is to love what he loves and hate what he hates. The Lord hates pride. Pride is really putting ourselves as as number one, or maybe living the way we want to live, or speaking the way we want to speak. You know, those things he hates. Instead, we want to make our cry, Lord, teach me to fear you, to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's also an anointing. We can say, Lord, would you anoint me with the spirit of the fear of the Lord so that we would have a respect and a reverence for his ways and we would love what he loves and hate what he hates. David said this in Psalm 86 and verse 11. He said, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. That was David's cry, that his heart would come, become so united, totally united in just seeking God and seeking his will and, and pleasing his heart. And of course, he became the man after God's own heart. And I think it was a big part of that was because his heart was united to fear the name of the Lord. And so this is something God wants to teach us and wants to work in our hearts in this day and in the days to come that we walk in the fear of the Lord. And, and in so doing, he gives us that perfect peace. We can be at peace and at rest because when we walk in his fear, it says, then I will be a sanctuary. It's nice to have a sanctuary, right? Especially here in Florida, you can be out. I remember one time we had a, a picnic and we decided to have a, I forget what day of the week it was, but whatever day of the week it was, it decided to pour down. And unfortunately, we didn't have a sanctuary. We, we, we thought about getting a pavilion, but by the time we thought of it, they were all taken and so we, we each had to have a little sanctuary in our car. <laughs> and so we had a, actually, I don't even think we tried it. We were like, okay, folks, see you next Sunday. You know, <laughs> we didn't have a sanctuary. Well, we better, we better have that organized beforehand in the last days. And in this day, really, as we walk with him, we need him as our sanctuary because the, the world 
And the spirit of Antichrist in this world is, would love nothing better than to just pour down upon us of all the, the evil and the wickedness to get us distracted and to get us overwhelmed and overcome by the events that we see. But if God is our sanctuary, then we can ride out any storm. Israel had light in their dwelling places, and he was their sanctuary. And that's really kind of the choice we have. There's not much middle ground. Back in Isaiah 8, it says, He'll be for us, he'll be for you a sanctuary, but for everyone else, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Here's what's interesting to both the houses of Israel. Hmm. That's a scary thought. That's the people of God. For a trap, for a snare. And that's something that, that's vitally important is the only distinction God is making here about those who can have him as his sanctuary is those who fear the Lord. Everything else is not said. Those who fear the Lord. Uh, we need to have a fear of the Lord in our day so that God can be our sanctuary. We want to develop a love for what he loves, a reverence and respect for his ways, and a hatred of what God doesn't want. And because if that doesn't happen, it says God will be a stone of stumbling. Jesus said he was the stone and the rock of offense. Of course, he's the cornerstone as well. We can build upon him. And he's a sure foundation, but for everyone else, they don't like what he says, so it becomes a stumbling stone. We have to be built upon the rock, the rock of obedience to his word, of, of the love of his word in, in our day. And so even in the church, we have to be careful of continually receiving his word and loving it and cherishing it. And God will be a sanctuary for us. You know, those we want to be those who wait upon him, to wait for his time and his deliverance. You know, Israel rejoiced when Moses first came and told them about the plan of God. You know, you can read that story in Exodus. They're like, God's going to deliver us? This sounds great. In fact, they stopped working. They took the day off. They might have regretted that later because Pharaoh, Pharaoh took notice. Um, and so Pharaoh took away their straw and they couldn't make bricks and uh, he, he made their life difficult. And you know, for a time they struggled with that. They struggled with what Moses said because they thought, well, this is going to come right away. We can just drop everything and we're, can, we're going to leave right away. But in fact, it only seemed like things got worse for them. You know, Pharaoh took away all their straw and bricks and, and they had to keep their quota. And, and you know, they, they thought, why does this need to take so long? What's happening? Why is God withholding what he said he's going to do? It was a great struggle. But for those who walked in the fear of the Lord, God was a sanctuary. One last thing in this concept of waiting, in Isaiah 8 and verse 15, 
It says, many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, snared and taken. But in verse 17, it says, and I will wait upon the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. That says a couple of things to us. You know, God hid his face from the house of Jacob. That's the people of God. But he revealed it to those who waited upon him and hoped in him. When Moses first appeared in Israel, they thought it was great. And he was proclaiming deliverance, but it didn't happen right away. And they got pretty upset. In fact, they got really mad at Moses. And we know it took a while. We're not sure of the exact time frame. But, you know, they had to wait for those judgments to come to pass. They, it was, there was nothing they could do to get out of the timing of God. And that's a good picture of the saints in the last days. But that is a good picture of just us in general. Who of us can dictate the timing to God? God's timing. We try to, but it, I have yet to meet anyone that was successful in that. We have no power to rush things with God. The only alternative we have is to learn to wait upon him and to hope in him. And God says he's the one who hides his face from the house of Jacob, those who won't walk in the fear of the Lord, those who won't wait upon him. But the implication and the message is he will not hide his face towards those who fear him and wait upon him and hope in him. After all, is it? I'll close with this last verse. As it says in Psalm 37 and verse 9, those for evildoers are going to be cut off. Right? He made that clear. But those who wait upon the Lord are going to inherit everything. They will inherit the earth. And so the end of the story is we win because we're on the Lord's side. So the last days are going to be a time of great fear in the world. But God's admonition to us is to not fear what they fear. They mean anyone else who does not fear the Lord. And that's something that's kind of hard to do, especially with the internet. You, you, you just hear words, but it's hard to, to evaluate the source. Does the source fear the Lord? Well, if you can't tell, then you probably shouldn't put much weight in what they're saying. You see, we only want to pay attention to those who fear the Lord. Everyone else, they're going to fear other things. They won't be able to avoid the spirit of fear. And so instead, we are called to walk in the fear of God, to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And then he promises he will be a sanctuary to us as he was to Israel in the land of Goshen. He'll give us light in our dwelling places as we wait upon him, and as we hope in him. Father, we just thank you for your wonderful plan for us. Thank you for the hope that you've given us in your son. Thank you for speaking to us, for leading us, for being that voice behind us, telling us which way to walk and for walking beside us. And Lord, we confess that at times we can look around us and be filled with, with fear and Lord, doubt or, or, or all these different thoughts that can come into our, our hearts. But Father, we just look to you. Lord, we want to be those who set our eyes upon you, who wait upon you, who hope in you, but who walk in the fear of the Lord. Lord, we just pray for a fresh anointing today. Anoint us with your spirit 
of the fear of the Lord. Lord, if there's uh, anything in our heart that we're inclining towards that's not pleasing to you, would you deal with it? Lord, would you cleanse us of, of, Lord, things that you don't like? Lord, would you give us a fresh aversion and a hatred to the things you don't like? Lord, cause us to be those who love what you love and to hate what you hate. Oh, Lord, cause our eyes to be set firmly upon you and upon your kingdom. Be a sanctuary to us. Teach us to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, we pray. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.